Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends of God, wake, awake is the message today. That sublime hymn by Philip Nikolai calls us to just such a life, to be ready and waiting for when our Lord returns. That is our foremost need, after all, to be prepared, each and every one of us, to meet the Lord, to attend faithfully to the preaching of the gospel and the means of grace, and to fix our eyes on the bridegroom, Jesus, who's coming. On this final Sunday of the church year, we focus on the return of Christ, the end of this world, and the glorious consummation of all things. We are called to a life of readiness and of watchfulness as we prepare for what theologians call the eschaton, which is just a fancy word for the last judgment, the defeat of all evil, and the creation of the new heavens and a new earth. A life into which we have all been invited. A life in which there is no weeping or distress, but instead nothing but gladness and joy forever. This joy is exemplified in the Apostle Paul, who writes to us this morning in the letter to the Thessalonians. There's a fairly good consensus that this particular epistle is the first book of the whole New Testament. And therefore, it gives us some pretty good insight into just how Christians were thinking and living and praying in the early church, early in the first century. See, the writer Paul, who wrote that letter, he himself actually encountered, he actually saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that meeting with the risen Lord obviously changed everything for him. He was called to completely reorder and reframe his entire life. All of his thinking, his being, his acting, everything had to totally change according to this one single truth that he saw the Lord Jesus resurrected, that Jesus was Lord, that he was alive, that he was crucified for our sins and raised from the grave, and it was now coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so now in our epistle this morning, he's writing to these Thessalonians about our Christian faith and what this means for our lives in light of the resurrection, in light of his coming again, which for us, like Paul, like the Thessalonians, really ought to change our perspective, to reorder and to reframe our lives too, to bring our living and our thinking and all that we are in complete, total harmony with this one central truth, that Christ is Lord, and that he is coming again to close out this evil age and to usher in the new. Therefore, he writes to the Christians at Thessalonica. He writes, Concerning the time and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will suddenly come like a thief in the night. Paul goes on to write that for those who have fallen away from Christ spiritually, that day will mean destruction. But he reminds those Christians in Thessalonica that they are not in spiritual darkness, but that they are children of light. 
separated from the multitude of unbelievers by baptism and by faith in Jesus. And he encourages them all to completely reorder their lives in harmony with the promise of the resurrection and of Christ's glorious return. And that means that we wait and we watch. But what does this mean? Well, I want you to fast forward from our epistle to our gospel today. Matthew, he records the words of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And this all calls for a little unpacking. Because the imagery here about our Lord's return is described based upon what would have been common custom and ceremony for a first century Israelite wedding. You see, the focus of an Israelite wedding, contrary to what we are all probably accustomed to, is that all the attention was actually not on the bride. Sorry, ladies. But actually on the bridegroom. And this was the custom for a wedding. Night would fall. And the bridegroom, addressed to the nines, would leave his parents' home, reflecting the words of Genesis, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And he would cross the town, would cross the village, and he would come to the home of his betrothed, to his bride. And then he would accompany her back across town to his home. And that's where the wedding and the big celebration would all take place. Well, as they all waited for the bridegroom to come, the guests would gather at the bride's house, and especially the attendants, the best man and the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, all the guests. And they would wait with their lamps to accompany the bridegroom on his journey. So this is the image that our Lord is setting up for us. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, ten bridesmaids who took their lamps, and went out to meet the bridegroom. So what's up with the lamps? Well, you have to use a bit of your imagination here to track with this parable. I want you to keep in mind that this bridegroom is coming at nighttime in an Israelite village in the first century. It's very dark. We are also accustomed to electricity, and we take it for granted. So, so much of this imagery might be lost on us. But if you've ever gone camping, you'll get a better picture of what's going on here. So if you wanted to participate in this wedding in any sort of way, if you want in on all of this, well, your lamp, it better be lit. And that lamp will need to be burning as well. That's the setup for the gospel. So what do we hear? Well, those five of those virgins are wise. Five of those virgins, they have plenty of oil in their lamps. The other five, they are foolish. They are not well prepared. And so after a long wait, the bridegroom was delayed. Why delayed? Well, in truth, he's not delayed. But from our experience, he is. It just seems so. In truth, he is gathering his elect. He wants more people at the party. Well, after this wait, the bridesmaids, they fall asleep. But then suddenly comes the cry, here is the bridegroom. And suddenly he's there. Come out to meet him. 
and suddenly they all spring into action. Those who have oil in their lamps, they light their wicks, and off they go. But those who have no oil, they can't light their lamps. They're not ready, they're unprepared. So who goes forth with the bridegroom and the wedding party? Who enters into the feast? The wise virgins do. Those who are ready. And who doesn't get in? The foolish ones. They're not prepared. Can't light the lamps. They're not ready. And the door is shut, and the bridegroom doesn't even know them. How do we read all of this? Well, like those bridesmaids, all of Christendom waits. In this, in this in-between time, as we wait for Christ, our bridegroom, to return, he has come to consummate this relationship with us, but we are all waiting. In joyful hope and eager expectation, and we know that the bridegroom is coming. But how do we wait? Some wait wisely and some wait foolishly. Some have their lamps stocked with oil and others don't. So what does the oil stand for? Well, the oil stands for that divine life that was given to us in holy baptism, which through repentance and faith and the work of the Holy Spirit is kept alive and burning. And this is the work of God alone, to be sure. Faith alone, grace alone, no doubt about that. And yet, let us also recognize the concrete means by which that very faith is sustained and that grace received. Because it's in the hearing of the gospel preached. It's in the salutary use of the sacrament, in the reading of our Bibles in our homes and in the Word of God that keeps the flame of faith burning. And then there's, there is a holy life that flows out of that fire Again, the work of Christ alone, but a life of prayer, a life of love, a life of mercy that flows forth from a heart justified and made right with God. The believing soul, the Christian, finds comfort in the fellowship of Christ's church. He attends to the preaching of the gospel and the word of God and knows that the ongoing need of Christ's forgiveness is his foremost need. These are the wise virgins, the Christians whose hearts are set on Christ and the grace of God. Who are the foolish ones? They are those who despise the gospel. They are those who neglect the preaching and the means of grace. Those who despise prayer, who let the divine life of God, given in holy baptism, burn out from an unrepentant heart a heart that holds that this passing life is all there is and doesn't actually believe that Christ is coming again at all. If you want an example of the wise virgins and a life reordered toward the coming of Christ and the age to come, look no further than Philip Nikolai that writer of our hymn of the day, Wake, Awake, we sang it just before the sermon. 
That writer of our hymn of the day, Wake Awake, he was a pastor in northwestern Germany during the time of the plague. History has it that in a single week, in the winter of 1597, he buried 170 of his own parishioners, including his wife and four of his children. In response, Philip Nikolai didn't write some sad, depressing dirge. Instead, he wrote two glorious hymns, filled with confidence in the Lord. Hymns that are called the King and Queen of Lutheran chorales. Wake, awake, for night is flying, and how lovely shines the morning star. Both of which we are singing today, by the way. Both hymns reflect the faith of a watchman, a Christian, obsessed with the life of the world to come, who recognizes that God is working even in the midst of death, calling Christians home and sealing them for the day of the resurrection of all flesh. Philip Nikolai, the writer of those hymns, is not only a model, a model for all pastors, but he is an example for all Christians of vigilance and sobriety. Sobriety in the sense that all of life is lived in the eager expectation that God may call us home at any time, that he is coming again and that our lives should be lived in harmony with what that day stands for. We may be called home at any time by plague or by cancer or on our way home from church or by tender old age, but God, he calls us home where and when he wills it. You see, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins is intended to wake us up from the sleep of sin so that when we fall asleep in death, we will not wake unprepared when he comes, but ready to go in with our bridegroom to his feast. For it's he, it's Christ, after all, who left his home in heaven to come down to us in love like the bridegroom. It's he who left father and mother at the cross to be joined to his bride, the church. It's he who suffered and died for you, pouring forth from his side the saving oil of water and blood so that you might be holy and without blemish. It's he... Christ, the bridegroom, who took to himself every repentant sinner in the marital embrace of his sacrificial love on the cross, making them his own, being married to them. And like the bridegroom coming at night, like Jesus dying on the cross when darkness covered the whole earth, it was there where the light and love of God was shining most brightly for all the world to see. And here's the really good news. It comes straight out of our epistle this morning. God has not appointed a single one of you for wrath, but has appointed you to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. The blessed and holy Trinity wants each and every one of you to be at that glorious feast, to share in the new world where death will be gone and tears are a thing of the past. So no matter how depleted your faith may be, no matter how spiritually sleepy or sinful you've been, 
Today you've come to the right place. And you can't miss this point. That the oil that you so desperately need is only that which Christ freely gives you. The oil in baptism. The oil in absolution. The oil in his supper. The comfort of his love. And that's what you find here. By these means, Christ makes foolish virgins wise and virgins pure. When our Lord comes again to close out this age, the doors of his kingdom will be wide open to you. And your lamp will burn brightly because of him who has loved you and has done all good things for you. And at last he will call you by name. And he knows you. What burning love the bridegroom has for you. It is a love that forgives you and prepares you and fixes all of your attention on him. And this holy light, this fire burns within you now. It will burn brightly at the hour of your death and at the midnight hour when Christ comes again. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.